Cats often baffle us with their strange behavior. One minute they're cuddly and sociable, the next minute they're cold and aloof. Despite their quirks, humans and cats have shared a special bond for centuries. On today's Please Explain, we're exploring the psychology of cats and the human-cat relationship. And joining us is Thomas McNamee, the author of The Inner Life of Cats, The Science and Secrets of Our Mysterious Feline Companions. It's published by Hachette. Mr. McNamee offers insights into the ways cats communicate, their quirky behavior, and looks at the problem of feral cat colonies. I'm very pleased to welcome him to today's Please Explain. Hi. Howdy. I'm uh, delighted to be with you today. Thank you. And we invite our listeners to join the conversation. Our number here is 212-433-9692. Is your cat acting weird? you have any questions about feline behavior? Give us a call, or you can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Uh, you begin your book with a story about a kitten named Augusta. How did you come to adopt Augusta? Uh, it's a funny, sad story. Uh, my wife and I were living on a ranch in a very remote part of Montana. And on a December night, after a very heavy snowfall, uh, and it just happened that our ranch manager had driven down our driveway, which was a quarter mile long. And By the way, our ranch was 25 miles from the nearest town. Uh, having driven through the snow, he had left two deep ruts in, in this heavy snow, and that apparently enabled this kitten, who had been dumped by some evil person at the head of our driveway, and, it, and she had apparently been able to go up, 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 up down the driveway and found her way into our equipment barn. And uh, The next morning, I was going to the equipment barn to find something, I don't remember what, and I saw this little black streak and I thought, well, that's, that's too fast to be a skunk, and it's too black to be anything. I couldn't figure out what it was. I just went running and, and eventually captured this tiny kitten, and that was Augusta. And uh, we weren't in the market for a kitten, but and we only had one neighbor who was nearby, and, and uh, of course I got him on the telephone, and he said, well, no, I, I didn't have a kitten. Uh, lose a kitten, and so it just happened that somebody, some person had abandoned this cat in the snow, and um, she managed to survive just because of those ruts in the road. Well, you've written uh, previously about grizzly bears and wolves. I hope you didn't adopt them before you wrote books about them. No, no. It's, uh, it's uh, Some people have actually tried to keep wolves as pets. And In fact, the person at the copy shop in Livingston, which is the, our nearest town, uh, had a wolf um, as a pet in the copy shop, and it was a very, it was a very bad idea. But, but wolves actually were domesticated eventually into the kinds of dogs that we now have. They were domesticated uh, by uh, breeding, but I, I, I understand that cats self-domesticated. Is that true? That's right. And I mean, there's some question about whether a cat is really domesticated at all. I think semi-domesticated is more like it. But yes, they started to, as at the beginning of agriculture, roughly, uh, we think, uh, cats began to hang around the granaries because there were uh, mice there and, and other rodents. And they, uh, of course, preyed on the rodents, which made them convenient to the people. And the cats, um, this was the North African wildcat uh, species, subspecies. Uh, and um, they're, they're, they happen to be a very mild-mannered creature anyway. They still live there in, in North Africa and the Middle East. And um, they gradually, the, the better 
quieter tempered kittens began to be probably handled by the children and um as as time passed they just uh got along well although i think there's some question about whether they were really pets at all for many many years they eventually became pets apparently in egypt there's one wonderful painting on a, in a tomb of a cat with a leash around its neck and uh so that indicates that some level of domesticity but i think for a long long time there were more just uh domestic companions uh that hung around farms and so forth and probably weren't really particularly lab cats until maybe the last few hundred years. In what way did domestic cats act in patterns set for them by their wild ancestors? They're very, very close together. Uh, you can actually, if you steal a kitten from a litter of uh, North African wild cats, they're quite easily tamed. Uh, and so a lot of the things that our cats do are the same things that North African wild cats do. I mean, when your cat rubs its face against your leg as a friendly greeting. That's the same thing that North African wildcats do to one another, to say hello. Um, and um, the, the obsession that your cat has with her litter box, for example, which is the most important thing in many cats' lives, uh, it's exactly the same pattern of uh, territorial uh, marking and defense that wild, uh, North African wildcats have. And what is that whole business of marking things uh, territorially? Uh, when they move into a, a new house, uh, they start marking that up as well? Every, uh, they do. I, I, one of the things that uh, have just been discovered in fairly recent times with the uh, decoding of the cat genome is that um, there's a whole level of cat communication that we've never known about before, which has to do with pheromones. And we can't smell them, but cats can smell one another's pheromones very readily. And uh, when they go around your house, uh, which they do all the time, uh, just kind of quietly rubbing their chin on things, they're depositing their, uh, their identity there. And uh, another cat can come by and smell who it was, what age, what mood they were in, and so on. Uh, and... And, there's, and a lot of this is about territory. It's saying, I am here, uh, and you'd better be careful about, you know, intruding uh, on me and, and my place. And, of course, cats who live in the same household have to work things out together, but they don't always. I mean, typically, for example, if you have one cat and, say, it's five years old, and you decide, oh, well, I think my cat is lonely, I think I'll get another one, um, Introducing a new cat into the household is, is fraught with peril, and uh, it often fails. Uh, I think, you know, you hear different numbers, but uh, I think commonly you can hear that uh, half the time uh, there's tremendous social conflict, and that has to do with the territoriality that our cats have inherited from their wild ancestors. My guest is Thomas McNamee. His latest book is The Inner Life of Cats, The Science and Secrets of Our Mysterious Feline Companions. It is published by Hachette. This is WNYC, WNYC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. Why do you think there's a lot less written about understanding the emotional lives of cats and their connections to people than there is about dogs? Are, are cats misunderstood or harder to read? Uh, yes, <laughs> in short, uh, both misunderstood and harder to read. The dogs, of course, have been with people for a long, long time, and uh, 
in, in very close proximity. And dogs are essentially a social species, having, as you said, descended from wolves. Wolves, of course, are also social species. They live in family groups, and they talk to one another all the time in various ways with body language and, and vocalizing and so forth. And so when you, you know, your dog wants to anything, you know, the dog puts his paw on your leg or whatever, and, and, you know, their faces are quite easily understood, and cats are subtler. But with care and close observation, you can learn a lot about what your cat has to say. And there have been some wonderful studies, which are not well known, although if you read my book, you'll find out about them, um, about cats' vocalizations, about their body language, and so forth. And if you just pay attention, very close attention to your cat, you eventually learn a lot of things about what they're saying. And and, um, it it just takes close close attention, and it also helps to to learn, uh, for my book, for example, about what they are saying and how they say it. You found recent evidence which suggests that we share similar emotional centers in our brains and that a cat's vocal expressions originate in those areas. So what are cats trying to communicate through their meows and purrs? And do they purr for each other or only for humans? Is is purring a way of showing affection? In general, uh, it indicates uh, emotional happiness. And yes, it often is uh, an expression of affection. Uh, kittens purr, and their their mothers purr back to them. And um, in the wild, the purr largely disappears. <clears throat> but but uh, cats, domestic cats, of course, purr happily in your lap, and they purr sometimes when they're hungry to let you know that they are. And it's been a, a very mysterious uh, uh, mechanism that has not been understood until quite recently how the purr is produced mechanically, and one of the most remarkable things that came out of the the attempt to understand how it's produced mechanically is that all cats, regardless of their size, regardless of their age, uh, the basic tone is 25 cycles per second, which is just which is below the lowest note on a piano, so it's it's actually uh, below the range of most people's hearing. So what we're hearing when the cat purrs is actually an overtone. So we're hearing a whole series of overtones, like a chord, actually. And all cats have this same fundamental tone in their purr. And so there's a kind of universal recognition of the purr that humans have developed over time. I think I don't know whether it's instinctive or not, but I mean, I think we all pretty well know when a cat is purring, that when we feel it, you know, you put your hand on the flank of a purring cat and you, you feel it through your body as much as you mm-hmm. sense it through your ears. We have been getting a lot of calls. Our number here is 212-433-9692. Let's take a few of them, and then I'll go back to some of my questions. Rebecca from Rockville Center, you're on the air. Hi, how you doing today? Okay. Um, I'm calling. I'm a huge cat lover. I had a cat for 18 years, and when he passed, I was absolutely devastated. But I recently went to take care of my sister's two cats, and one night I wasn't feeling well. The male cat always slept at the end of the bed, but the night when I didn't feel well, the female cat absolutely laid on top of me, and I could sense she was saying to me, you know, you need to feel better, you need to feel better, and I honestly did, and I'd like to know, can they sense when you don't feel well? The answer is absolutely yes. Uh, 
and and I think that cat was expressing sympathy with you. Uh, I, that's you know the cats. Uh, if if a cat has been raised well with affection from an early early age, and I, it's very important that that affection and bonding with humans start very very early, uh, which is something that I discovered in doing the research for this book that from what, a particular study that was published only in 1988, that when a cat has had a really great kittenhood, they develop the ability to bond very deeply with human companions and to develop a, a complex system of sympathy and understanding. And it sounds like you had that kind of cat on your, on your chest or wherever it was. Thank you for calling us, Rebecca. You say you shouldn't scold or yell at a cat. Never, does it ever, become ever. traumatic? You never punish or yell at a cat. All it does is make them afraid of you. The, the way to mold a cat's behavior is to reward good behavior. We have a caller named Susan from Ardsley, New York. Hi, Susan, you're on the air. Hi. Um, so, yes, I've always considered myself a cat whisperer. I've had cats most of my life. I'm 59. Um, for the past 10 years, we have a cat named Richie. Um, he's very attached to us, very bonded to us, and also, frankly, quite bizarre. Um, one of his habits, and I just can't figure it out, nor can any veterinarian or animal behaviorist, is that he has a very loud, piercing howl. And he howls, uh, as an example, at his water bowl. Um, sometimes he howls just standing in the middle of the room. We don't know if there's a dibbick. But I also, it sounds strange, but I'm a psychologist and I have a special specialty in ADD. And I think of him as having KDD, or kitten deficit disorder. He's very distracted. And um, he has a hard time focusing. And then he has this incredibly loud howl. And our... Uh, veterinarian prescribed Prozac for him, and as he's not taking it, I'm taking it myself. But I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on what this loud howl is about, and what, if anything, we can do about it, because he's constantly interrupting our sleep. And uh, by the way, a listener uh, wrote to us, uh, said that his cat always announces himself when he enters the room. Um, he, he yowls in the doorway. So are they communicating something through the howls and the yowls? Well, I don't know about this howling. I mean, you're the psychologist. I think <laughs> your, your diagnosis is going to be far better than mine. I, I mean, my diagnosis would be to say, your cat is nuts. Uh, <laughs> and there but, are crazy cats, <laughs> other than are, the cartoon. Yes, but, but of course, the cat who's simply announcing himself coming into the room. Sure, of course. Uh, my cat, who's lying here uh, about three feet away from me right now, very quietly, thank God, um, is uh, part, she's a, a mutt, but she's part Bengal. And uh, Bengals have a particular type of vocalization, which is less a meow than a kind of a, it, it sounds like this. And her, in my view, her name is Isabel, she thinks that my name, Tom, is called. And so when she comes into the room to say hello to me, she goes, and she thinks my wife's name is. And uh, so, and so, so she just says hello to us with those particular vocalizations. Now, dogs will recognize their names. What about cats? Oh, I think so. They've given you this cat has given you names. That's right. Oh, I, you know, she she recognizes your name. Sure. We're going to take a little break and come back with more calls and more talk about cats on today's. Please explain. Look at. 
cats. Uh, my guest is Thomas McNamee, whose latest book is The Inner Life of Cats, The Science and Secrets of Our Mysterious Feline Companions, published by Hachette. Our number, 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page, WMIC.org, or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. And we are back with Thomas McNamee. His latest book, The Inner Life of Cats, The Science and Secrets of Our Mysterious Feline Companions, published by Hachette. Uh, The ancient Egyptians loved cats, and didn't they make them into gods? But cats uh, also have been associated with witchcraft and the Black Plague. People are fearful of black cats. So so they, they serve different functions in different cultures? That's right. I mean, there are people now who who hate cats. Uh, there's this wonderful psychologist named Elaine Karsh, who I think is the, the genius who discovered that about the, the secret to turning out great cats. And she worked for years at Temple University in Philadelphia. And um, she did she a study a called the Human Cat Relationship. Exactly. Yes. And um, she had a lot of cats in her lab, and she didn't like keeping cats in cages, of course, and so the cats roamed all over the place. And she told me about when one time when some workmen had to come in and do some, I think, plumbing work in the lab, something like that, and they wouldn't come in until she rounded up all the cats and put them in cages. They were just scared to death of cats, just simple old pet cats. And, uh, I've, you know, there are people around today, I've, you know, I've met them. Uh, well, you know, heard I was working on this book. They say, "Oh my God, oh, disgusting!" Uh, and and course, why do you think that you is? Say, I don't know. I don't know. Because because dogs can be just as disgusting as cats. Well, uh, more so. I think you know the way they rub on in horrible things in the yard. And cats are clean, at least. Uh, but you know, as you say, down through history, the cats have been associated with the devil and with the plague, and uh, particularly black cats. You know, a black cat crosses your path. It's bad luck. Uh, and, uh, I, frankly, I, it mystifies me. I don't know. I can't understand it. A lot of people, especially those who live in cities and crowded suburban areas, don't let their cats go outside. How healthy is that for a cat? Uh, do, um, don't all cats need some time outdoors just because of their genetic makeup? Well, this is complicated. I, I mean, of course, most Cats actually end up live, living indoors, and, and most of the uh, you know authorities uh, recommend that uh, because of cats killing birds or cats being in danger themselves, by, you know, eaten by a coyote or something. Uh, but an indoor cat's life can be terribly dull, and the and dullness can be just murder to a cat's psyche. And so when a cat lives indoors, I think the owner has uh, a duty to provide stimulation that emulates uh, the outdoor life, and basically hunting. I mean, that's the most important thing in, in the cat's brain uh, is is to have some kind of idea of, of uh, hunting. Uh, and so playing with a cat uh, needs to have a sort of stalk, pounce, kill sequence. I mean, in, in the case of our playing with our kitty Isabel, we, our, her favorite toy is just a ribbon with a knot in the end of it. But if you play with her effectively, you know, she, she'll stalk it, she'll pounce on it, and she'll bite it and kill it. And um, so an indoor cat, you can provide for an indoor cat's life 
in a way that that um, is similar to an outdoor cat's life. But it takes work. Well, outdoor cats often will bring back little prizes like dead birds. That's right. Uh, or mice or whatever else they have caught outside. That's I'm right. not always sure I appreciate those little gifts. But they, but they seem to be presented as gifts. We think so. Uh, there's some disagreement about what they're actually doing, but I, I, I like to think of it as a gift. And, of course, there's a lot of controversy about the number of birds overall and other animals killed by cats outside. And um, it's, it's a huge controversy. And there was a, there have been a couple of studies showing that they kill uh, many millions of birds every year. Uh, most of the killing is done by feral cats. I mean, there's somewhere... We have about... 90 million pet cats in the United States, and there may be equally many feral cats. That's a lot of cats, and uh, and many of them, basically to live, have to kill something, and so they kill a lot of birds. Uh, the a lot of people have tended to believe that they're damaging bird populations. In many cases, they're not. And, you know, if they, if a cat kills a baby robin. It's really not that big a deal because, you know, robins have a lot of babies. And if, if they kill every robin in a nest, then the robins have a, a second clutch. But if, in other cases where there are, are uh, endangered birds, for example, on an island or in an island-like habitat, cats can contribute to their extinction. Uh, cats have contributed to the extinction of quite a number of vertebrate species. And... Um, and that can be a real danger to uh, to birds and, and other animals that are uh, in, in uh, that are rare and, and in decline. But it, overall, the, the idea that cats are just slaughtering uh, birds and, and causing drastic declines in bird populations—that's that, a misconception. The real problem for many birds is not predation, but habitat loss. Let's go to Ricky from Park Slope. Hi, Ricky. You're on the air. How am I coming? Can you hear me? Yes. Not okay, well. How you doing? Oh, how about now? Do you hear me a little better? Yes. How you doing, guys? I saw a kitten. She's like five months old. You know, she's very playful. But sometimes, you know, she gets a little aggressive towards my feet. Like if I'm walking in the middle of the night, you know, she goes biting. She don't scratch, but she's biting very hard. And she does this thing. You know, I think when she's angry, she rams her head towards me. Do to, to train it? Can it be trained? And are they attacking, or are they? Is this a form of, of affection or play? Well, it, it, I mean, if it, if, if it, the head butting is an expression of affection, but biting is, is not so good. That sounds like it's just play, and it might just go away as the cat matures. But um, the best thing to do usually with a cat that's misbehaving in some way, like biting and so forth, is, is to distract them. I heard somebody uh, recommending the idea of putting some pebbles in a soda can and just and you just rattle it, and it makes a terrible noise that the cat can't stand. And uh, so, you know, if a cat nips you, you rattle a soda can at them, they'll pretty soon stop. You write that a lot of cats have mental problems. What do you mean by that? They're, they become neurotic? Yeah, yeah. Uh, often it's as a result of lack of stimulation, or um, the, uh, the boredom is, is a terrible enemy of cats' uh, psyches. 
um, in, in many cases, because, again, as I've said, they, uh, they're so much like their wild ancestors that we owe them a life that is similar to the life of, of the wild cat. And in many cases, cats don't get that. So and if we up, declaw them, will that affect their mental health? Oh, declawing is one of the worst things you can possibly do. It's like, am- somebody, it's like amputating all your fingers down to the, down to the second joint. Uh, I mean, that is that's part of their, their apparatus of life, their claws. They, they can't keep their balance. The cat that's been declawed can't even stand up straight, usually. Let's take another call. Uh, this one is from uh, Tony in Brooklyn. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Toby, I'm sorry. Toby, yeah. Um, I got a cat as a kitten, and uh, he's always been treated very nicely, never abused, and yet he's very skittish. If you make the slightest gesture toward him, he'll run away. He will come up to you and let you pet him, but if you lean toward him at all, he runs away. And I'll take the response off the air. Okay. Would that just be unique to that cat, or is it that typical be. behavior? It could be some cats are just born shy. Uh, and uh, I mean Augusta. I mean Augusta had uh, the cat in my book, uh, the heroine of the book. Uh, wh- she had problems partly because of the bad things that Elizabeth and I did when she was a kitten. We we neglected her in many ways. We made a lot of mistakes. It's one of the reasons I wrote the book is to help people not make the mistakes we made. Uh, and and Augusta ended up very shy, and she would never sit in our lap. She would lie next to us on the sofa, but wouldn't. And and she had some of the same problems that <clears throat> this person is describing. She also would, if you leant, leaned toward her, she would flinch, and sometimes she would run away, dodge. And we never got her over that. And I don't know if it was inborn or if it was something we had done wrong or not done. Uh, and probably, it, you know, you're probably stuck with this behavior. Well, listener Stephanie from Locust Valley uh, wrote on our website, our cat has recently become fearful of me hiding when I enter the house. She's increasingly averse to me since our last vet visit, but she still likes my husband. How do I improve our relationship? Wow, that's a tough one. You know, all I can say is that you know, luckily these days there are some very good uh, behavioral uh, counselors. You know, it's like a shrink, um, and unfortunately there are a lot of fake ones as well. And there's no way of getting a, you know, there's no licensing bureau or anything like that. And so uh, you're, if you have a very good veterinarian or the local SPCA, something like that can give you some guidance about who to turn to. Uh, some sort of phobia like this can probably be rectified by an expert. But uh, once it starts happening like this, it, it's probably not going to change unless somebody starts to intervene in some helpful way. A listener wrote in to ask, why do some cats need their paws when they're on your lap or stomach? Does it, oh. ha- does it have anything to do with looking for milk, the, the listener asks? It, it is, in a way. It's, it's what kittens do with their moms uh, to help stimulate milk production. Um, and it, it's just a, it's a kitten thing. And when they do it to you uh, when they're adults, it's just a gesture of affection. It just means, oh, I love you. I'm so comfortable here. It's just like being with my mom. Anyone who's had a dog and then brought a cat into the house knows that it can be a problem. Yet some get along very well. Others don't. 
Are they natural enemies? No, certainly not natural enemies. Uh, I mean, kind of depends on the dog, depends on the cat. Um, I mean, if you raise the puppy and the kitten together, they'll be friends for life. Um, but, I mean, bringing a, bringing a puppy into a cat household, uh, the cat might, might, might be so friendly. I've always uh, thought that the big problem was that a dog wags its tail when it's showing it's happy, and a cat wags its tail when it's showing it's unhappy. That's true. A cat, when the cat is switching its tail rapidly back and forth, that's a bad sign. That means the cat is actually thinking about attacking. Uh, sometimes the cat gently moves its tail back and forth in a slow, easy motion, which can be a sign of contentment. Jane from Brooklyn, you're on the air. Oh, hi! Hello, hi! Hi, Jane, we're running out of time, so... Oh, okay. Uh, my sister's been pursuing a um, trap, neuter, release, and feed program in Ossining, New York, for about 18 years. And as time has gone by, of course, uh, she's down to about two or three cats now from about nine and there are some predators up there skunks coons possums foxes she actually saw a skunk steal a kitten but uh wow. is there any information available about how long it might be before that territory is recolonized by cats from outside that territory Generally speaking, uh, where there is a feral colony and the population goes down, it will be recolonized if there are other cats nearby. Unfortunately, I mean, they, when we start to talk about feral cats, you, you raise a hundred issues, and uh, I have some fairly firm ideas ab about them. And I, I, luckily, I mean, when you said feed, when you added trap, neuter, release, and feed, at least you you added feed because in many cases. What we see is trap, neuter, and release, and then the poor cats are back on the street. It's like you take in a homeless person, give them a shower, and then throw them back on the street. Because um, the, the, the life of a feral cat is often really miserable, partly because they don't have enough to eat, partly because they get run over by cars, they get killed by dogs, they, they, they are diseased. They, you know, people think, well, I'm just going to feed them, and they'll be okay. Well, it's not the case. You know, the most cases, feral cats have a miserable life. At least in this case, the cat's being fed. But I, you know, in in Rome, Italy, um, feral cats are taken care of in a beautiful way. The, the city helps pay for it. There are all these volunteers, who, and the cats get veterinary care, and they get they're kept in colonies where they're protected. And I think that the United States begins needs to start thinking about feral cat. If we're not going to just kill them all, uh, they need to be taken better care of. Now, we have practically no time left, but I was curious about one more thing. Some people say that when a cat enters a room of people she doesn't know, she'll inevitably be drawn to the person who doesn't like cats. Do you think that's true? Well, there, some people say that's true, and, and it's, they say it's because that the person who doesn't like cats doesn't look at the cat um, in the eye and which the cat uh, takes as a gesture of uh, non-aggression. Hmm. Okay, well, uh, you've answered a lot of questions uh, that our audience has and uh, that I also had, and I thank you so much for talking with us. I guess next time we will talk about grizzly bears or one of your other topics. I'd be delighted to be back, and I'm really grateful for your having had me today.
Thomas McNamee's book is called The Inner Life of Cats, The Science and Secrets of Our Mysterious Feline Companions. It's published by Hachette.